So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. With an audience, like I, I really believe in the thousand fans from Kevin Kelly. You know, who find those, find that customer, really define who that is. Might change over time, but who is that future customer that you want and deliver something amazing to them, remarkable, be indispensable to them on a regular basis. And then you will just see the magic happen. And that's where I think a lot of people make that mistake. And the thing is, it's doable. You just have to do it up front. And that's why I tell people, do the work up front. Put the months in ahead of time to figure out what, who is that audience. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got one of my favorite authors back for another appearance, Joe Paluzzi. Thanks for doing this. Jess, thanks for having me back. I'm honored to be a multiple timer on your podcast. <laughs> well, listen, first thing we should get out of the way is is tell people about your newest launch. Oh, it's crazy. I just can't stop starting businesses, Jess. It's so I, you know, I took just a quick back. I, yeah, I took 2018 off, sold Content Marketing Institute 2016. I stayed on until the end of 17, took 2018 off. And I wrote a novel. I was in the, in the mystery thriller novel business. I was dead set on becoming a novelist as part of act two or three or whatever in my career. And then the pandemic hit and I started to get all kinds of emails and messages and notes about my 2015 book, Content Inc. And I said, well, shoot, there's a lot of people struggling right now, trying to find a job, changing careers. And I thought that this resurgence of Content Inc. was something. It actually meant something. And I reached out to McGraw-Hill Education and I said, I think we should redo this book. And so decided to redo Content Inc., the book, which, you know, it's, it's out at the end of May 2015. And then I said, well, I can't just do the book. So following in Content Inc., the model's fashion, launched a company called The Tilt which is right now a two-time-a-week e-newsletter to help content creators become content entrepreneurs, which means help them build sustainable businesses and become financially free. And so that's it. So we've got The Tilt. I've got Content Inc., the book. I'm into NFTs and creator coins. I'm just, I'm nuts over the whole thing. So I don't even know where to go from here. Okay, I love it. So is The Tilt, is the, what's the website for The Tilt? Or is that off of JoePolisi.com? The, the tilt. Yeah. So the new and, and it just launched. So we, we just launched our first newsletter the second week of April. So it's the tilt.com. And that's the product right now. The product is the e-newsletter. Okay. I just so, signed up. Thank you. Yeah. So if you go to the tilt.com, you can't get it. Yeah. You just see a landing page. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, for, for people who may not understand just the enormous impact and, and the branding of the whole space is content marketing and just like the powerhouse of your last business. Can you can you give people just a little bit of a scope of, you know, 
the major brands around the world that that trusted you guys for advice and and what the content marketing institute is yeah sure absolutely i mean i've been in the content marketing industry for now over 20 years i started selling custom publishing which was one of the names for content marketing before we started in this whole thing and i launched what became content marketing institute in 2007 i really felt that this idea of brands telling their own stories building their own audiences building content assets and monetizing those assets basically creating loyal audiences and then driving more revenue through loyal audiences i think i thought that was the thing and the issue was is everyone was calling it something different branded content custom content custom media custom publishing nobody cared about those terms and we hit on this term of content marketing that really resonated and probably and i, I remember my first blog post was i think april 24th of 2007 and i and i called it why content marketing and from that day i just acted like the term was for the industry was content marketing <laughs> and probably by 2010 it really started to take off. We had Brian Clark, a copy blogger, got behind it. He didn't like the term, but he says, no, I think that's the term because people get it. And then enterprises started to get it. We renamed our business, then Content Marketing Institute. We launched, so that was in May of 2010. We launched Chief Content Officer Magazine, which went out to 35,000 marketing executives. That was in January of 2011. And then we launched the granddaddy, which was Content Marketing World, which was a big experiment in September of 2011. I was hoping 100 people would show up to Cleveland. That year we had 660. Three years later, we had 2,500. Two years after that, we had 4,000 people come to Cleveland, Ohio. And it became and still is the largest in-person event in the industry. And so basically we worked with half the Fortune 100, maybe, of the people that came through our consulting and signed up for our our training. I think it, I think our heyday, I think we had something like 17 of the Fortune 25 came to content marketing world. So we were really focused on large enterprises. And that's what, what CMI excelled in, complex content problems. You had a big enterprise, content's unwieldy, it's everywhere. How do we operationalize it? And so that's what we tried to educate on. Well, you know, and and I congratulations on all the success. One thing that I will say though is there is a lot of stuff out there. If if you're a big giant company and you have a huge budget, there's a lot of people who want to advise you. There's books and stuff. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I love about Content Inc. so much is it's somewhere to start. It's like, I feel like it's solid gold for the entrepreneur who's earlier in the journey, who is not a Fortune 100 company. And it's like, where can I start? It's like, it's such a gift to the rest of us of like, the quality of expertise you have from that type of work brought to the individual innovators and, and entrepreneurs and their teams. You know, we were talking for a minute before the show here, but what were you going to say? No, I was going to say I pivoted my entire career on, I mean, basically I spent the first 16 years just focusing on these large enterprises, marketing professionals, and now I'm 100% focused on what you're talking about. And our entrepreneurs that want to start something, how do they get started? And I believe in the content, the core of the Content Inc. model is build an audience first and then launch your products and services after you build a loyal audience. And I think it's the least risky way to start a business today. And I tell everyone, and most people won't listen to me right now, but I've got friends of mine that have the think they've got the greatest product or service idea in the world. And they're going out there and they're spending all kinds of money. And I'm like, stop, build some amazing content experience for that audience. You can go direct today. And that's what the Content Inc. model is. It's a seven-step, pretty simple model. I believe that if you follow that model after five years, 
you can you can achieve at least five million dollar in valuation. I, I believe it's a, it's all about patience and delivery and focus. But it absolutely, any company with any amount of money can get there, and that's what I love about it. You don't have to be the IBMs or the Red Bulls or the Apples of the world or the Googles of the world. You can actually be, you know, mom and pop or small startup or eighteen year old YouTuber or whatever, and you can create something amazing and, and be financially independent. Well, I'm kind of hoping this show can be like just a testimonial for your book. Why anybody who doesn't have it needs to go pre-order it right now because what what we've had here is very much due to what you preach in that book and your book specifically. So your book came out in 2015. And I don't know if I told you this last time you were on, but I, I took your methodology and one of my, I, I was doing some like CEO strategy advisor work at the time. One of my clients had it was the CEO of an ad agency whose client was one of the five biggest tech companies in the world. Okay. And they're like, Hey, they want us to do business to business stuff. And that's not our, that's not our wheelhouse. Can you come to the meetings in Silicon Valley with me and think up a B2B program to sell them? So I go out there and I just said, I basically ripped your book off and said, you guys have an amazing innovation story. Let's just do the news behind the news. Let's get Clayton Christensen from Harvard to host a podcast and a show and interview all these great innovation stories. And then you guys get to tell the story beyond the soundbite and look at all those internal stuff of you can do stories on yourself and, and bring this all in. And they're like, oh, that's great. And then I called, cold called Clayton Christensen at Harvard. He said, yes. He said, if my son will oh, do no. it with me, I'll do it. And then they proceeded to not execute, right? So, oh no. So, about a year later, I was like, man, that's such a good idea. I should just do that. And so, five years ago this spring, you know, 600 episodes ago, I started this show and I just did it myself. And I didn't exactly know what we were going to do, but I believed you have built an audience first. And, you know, since we've talked last, now I've gotten over 120,000 downloads a month. And we get to interview all these billionaires and Fortune 500 CEOs and pro athletes. And I said, you know, Danny Glover on the show and people like this, right? And in that meantime, you write killing marketing. And I'm like, yep, that's the way we need to we need to turn this into like a profitable media arm. And this year we got full time advertising representation. And we're building a for profit media business so that we can sell our real estate investment that is the company we ended up building. And you know, 600 episodes of building an audience. And now we've got something to sell them. Oh my, this is an awesome I, I like, case study. This I is awesome. Feel like you gave me, you gave me the blueprint. And every time we bring on new staff, why just make them read the books? Hey, you got to read these two books. This is what we're doing. Oh, God bless you. That is awesome. I did not know all of it. I knew some of that. I did not know all of it. And that is, that's, you're, you're, you're doing exactly what I think is the a perfect way to do it. And it sounds like the plan, I mean, is it, so has it taken longer than you thought? I mean, that's usually where people lose it is they don't have the patience and they don't execute it. But if you can make it through that two to three year barrier, I mean, where did you find, find that you got stuck or did you get stuck or maybe this is it's just working perfectly? You know what? I didn't get stuck because I was putting guests on that were so interesting. I wanted to learn from these people. Right. And then I get, you know, I get to a new audience five days a week because the show goes out to these people. Right. But I ended up not getting nearly so much benefit from my audience as from my guests. Mm -hmm. I have guests that are now contract employees of ours. I have guests that are clients. I have guests that have become personal friends. It's really the guests that have been the best thing for us, even more than the audience. That's incredible. That's well, congratulations. I mean, you did, you did the work and that's where, 
Some people have a great idea. They have a great concept. They go through, they start with the model and then nine to 12 months comes along and long and then they, they just don't consistently deliver and they lose it. And they go, they say, okay, it didn't work. And I'm like, you got to get through that, the tough times. Because I mean, it took us with Content Marketing Institute, it really took us a good solid 20 months to really find that everything was working to get what we call in the book, a minimum viable audience. And you get to that, then you try your first revenue opportunity, sales opportunity, and then you diversify and things go from there and they're doing what you're doing. Then you build out basically the media or content empire. It's perfect. Well, and I got to tell you by, by just, like you said, we just followed your advice. We just stuck with it. And we just believed you when you said your number one, most important thing is consistency. And just, and I tell you, we messed up once we had a junior guy in charge of some things and we weren't doing our tracking well enough. And at this point we were back on weekly episodes and four weeks in a row didn't actually get posted. And we lost a third of our audience and it took us a year to get that audience back. Isn't that and crazy? So oh. We just we just believed you on set an expectation. And it's changed because we started off five days a week. We went to once a week for about three and a half years. And then we just went back to five days a week a year ago. And so expectation setting was a little different. But once we change, we really stick with it, you know. And it's been absurd, you know, like now, I mean, we got reached out to by Bloomberg. We produce podcasts and videos for Bloomberg now. We like it's what you said was going to happen really happened for us. So so thanks for giving us the instruction, man. <laughs> you, you did the work. I'm just glad the model works. And that's where I mean, when when we when I started to figure out what what ultimately became the content model, it, it was just this is how we launched the business. And I want I had a hypothesis and I wanted to find out. Can, is this a replicable thing? Like, are there other businesses out there? And that was the the best part about it to find companies like yourself and copy blogger and social media examiner and all these amazing companies that started with this audience first model and nobody talks about it. You've got people like, I mean, I love Peter Thiel. I, I love his books. I love what he's done in the venture space, but he always says, you got to create the greatest product in the world and become that unicorn. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think that's right. I think you go out and build your audience. That's the least risky way to do it. The most risky way to do it is to go put everything you can into a product or a service and then find out down the road that it's not the right one. Well, once you build a loyal relationship with an audience, they will tell you what they will buy from you. I'm sure you learned it along the way. Like you're on a podcast. You're like, oh, that would be interesting. Oh, I heard somebody say that. Somebody email me this. These are all coming from your subscribers and your guests. And they're helping you build the model along the way. And then you just become more and more confident with it because you're field testing it as you go. So anyways. Well, I'll tell you what. It's obviously not the only way to build a business, right? Yes. But to me, it's such an unfair advantage. There's, it gives you so much room to be wrong. You know, we had, we had one of my heroes on the show, Steve Blank in the fall last year, you know, famous Stanford professor wrote all these books, but he, before becoming a professor 20 years ago, he sold his eighth startup for $8 billion. Okay. Oh, geez. And, and if you know the book, the lean startup from Eric Reeves, sure. that's all that this is the professor he's always talking about. This is okay, Steve. Got Blank it. From, okay. So, you know, we had been building our fund thinking, oh, everybody wants to be like us and wants to be the general partner of a fund because GPs make so much. And because of the show, I get to talk to rich guys five days a week. And so after the show, I'd say, hey, can I ask you a favor? What do you think of this? And, and we got some positive results. But ultimately, we didn't do enough customer research. We spent all this time inventing a new structure with our lawyers for months and months and months. We went out to sell it. And people were like, oh, that's really smart. But then they weren't writing the checks, right? And we're like, what is wrong? And Steve Blank comes on and I show him the pitch afterwards. And, and he's like, Jess, you got something here, but I, I think you really need to just go, you know, be like, be humble and listen, go ask people instead of sell them. 
And so I took his advice. And it wasn't two weeks later after talking to a whole bunch of people that we realized, oh, they don't actually want to be a general partner. They just want to own the real estate. They just want to own the real estate with us and get their boring, reliable quarterly checks. So <laughs> we we scrapped the whole thing we've been working on for a year and a half. At the end of last year, worked with a new set of lawyers and literally yesterday finished our new set of paperwork. And we are now going to sell them what they actually want. And what's funny is we already have pre-sales and this thing hasn't even existed yet. And it was the forgiveness of like, I have genuine relationships. I got to scratch their back first and profile them here, right? And so I got to go back to people and go, okay, I realized the first one was a misfire. How about now? And they're like, oh, yeah. So, you know, and they're like, they're like literally give me the numbers of how much to save for them, you know? Oh my God, sign me up, right? Oh, that's the perfect. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. But it wasn't like, you know, most people are like, oh, great. What investors do I go to? I have like an absurd Rolodex of people who I've scratched their back first, right? By profiling them on the show and just tried to be genuine and become actual friends. And I really don't even care if they all become investors. I'm just happy to give solid advice from my ideal customer base, right? And, you know, lucky for us, some of them already said they, you know, these different accredited investors say they want in, you know? So anyways, if anybody isn't getting the picture, they need to go pre-order <laughs> the next edition. Okay, question. Okay, yeah. Is there going to be an audio edition of the new one? Absolutely. It's just funny because yeah. I, I just I just finished it a few days ago and it will be out in time. So the, the book is supposed to come out May 25th. Generally, what happens when you uh, publish a book is Amazon will release it whenever they want. Whenever, whenever they get the copies <laughs> in, they won't stick to the release date. So generally a week before Amazon will release it, everything else will release on the 25th. But yeah, I, I read the whole thing myself as I always do. The only So seven books and the only one I never, I did not read was my fiction novel, but everything else I've done and I enjoy doing it. It's kind of a bear to do, but it's, it's definitely worth it. So absolutely. It'll be already ebook, everything, the whole thing's ready to go. So I, I have a premise. I'm interested if you, if you see it differently than me, I feel like content Inc is how to go from zero or just wherever you're at to your, to your hundreds of thousands up into the, into the early millions as a business. And then from there, killing marketing is how to go to the next level. Do you see it different or what do you think? No, that's probably correct because killing marketing was written for and whatever you, however you define an enterprise, you have to have lots of moving parts. You have to have politics. You have to have some additional resources. But that said, what I've done what I tried to do, so hopefully you'll see this with the new Content Inc. business model, I, I changed it. So the old Content Inc. model was six steps. The new one is seven. And the seventh step is sell or go big. So basically what happens when you're, so you, you go from zero within 12, 18 months, you know, you got hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, hopefully two to three years, you're banking, you know, a couple million, and then you get to that, you know, 5 million, 7 million, 10 million mark at year five to seven, something around that. At that moment, as a business of any size in, in outside of any business model, you have to make a decision. Am I going to scale this thing or am I going to sell it? Because you've got to start making decisions. I've got to actually grow up and and start taking some of this more seriously than than what we're how we're doing it. So what you're so what we've added from killing marketing is we really put in some of the things about here's how you can look at it to go big. For example, we go through all the different 10 plus revenue options in content inc i didn't used to have that have that we just talked about oh here's a bunch of revenue things but we really took the construct of 
Once you have a loyal audience in the middle, you have six different direct revenue lines that you could look at right away. Advertising, conferences and events, premium content, donations, affiliate subscriptions. And then on the outside, you've got four additional choices of indirect revenue. I've got products, services, create uh, better customers, more loyal customers, create increase yield with them, whatever the case is. We took that from Killing Marketing and put that right into the Content Inc. model. So what we've got at the, at the latter chapters of the book are... You can either look at companies like Content Marketing Institute, where we got to about $10 million in size and we decided to sell, or you could be somebody like a social media examiner or an entrepreneur's on fire, where you say, no, I want to be be this size of a business and be successful. Or you could say, oh, I want to be like a Red Bull Media House, or I want to be like an Aero Electronics and take my small little content shop and blow it out into something huge. So that's where... Kind of that's where we're at. I love the way you're going with it, but hopefully, hopefully when you just read that book, you can say, I can get that with the one book. So we'll see how we do. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Listen, when you think about people who, who believe you, they, you know, they we're somebody like me who's drinking the Kool-Aid folks like us who were, we're fans, we're living it. We're, we're doing the consistency. Where do you see people like me not going quite deep enough? Where do we, where could we live it harder? Well, there's a couple, there's a couple places that I see right now. I mean, I, we were lucky enough to analyze and actually talk face to face with about a hundred different companies like yourselves. And we tried to figure out, is the model right? What are we doing? What are they doing wrong? So one is, and we're seeing this with all size companies is you diversify too quickly. So what happens is somebody will identify a content niche, they'll identify the audience, and then they'll immediately say, Hmm, let's do a podcast, a YouTube series, a Twitch channel, a Facebook group, and 10 other things all at one time. And that always fails. And basically, large brands do this the worst because they feel because they can, they should, and they have to be everywhere their customers are at. And that's a lie. You should not be everywhere your customers are at. You should create an amazing, remarkable content experience on the platform that makes the most sense for you and your business and your audience. So for you, you got the podcast down, you're rocking and rolling. And at some point, you and maybe you already have, you'll start to diversify out, but you've got to build that base first. Most, so, most people don't do that correctly. Go ahead. Well, that rang in my ears a lot because, you know, I've got shiny penny syndrome and I want to do everything, yeah. right? So, no, we, we waited until we had over, you know, we waited until we got this, you know, over 100,000 downloads a month. And now at 600 episodes, we, we literally just rented a space in town and have been building out our YouTube studio. And we're only now adding the YouTube channel because there you go. Yeah. we know we've got this nailed, you know, and now You're we're doing it correctly. And most people don't do that. So this, it's like, I just wrote an article for search engine watch on the whole thing. And I'm just, it just boggles. I get it because I've been a marketer and I, and I've dealt with marketers for years, but we just want to create everything and we want to do it ourselves and have it be on every channel. And I'm like, okay, if you are a student of how media companies get built and content empires last so long, they focus on one platform and one content focus. And they do so over a consistent period of time, generally years and then they diversify. So that so exactly right. That's the one area they always like, seem to get wrong. You know, I, I love a bunch of things about Gary Vaynerchuk, but sometimes when he says you need to put out, you know, 15 pieces of content every day on all these platforms, what I think gets lost in the nuance is when you can do that sustainably because you've got a team and your TikTok video actually feels like TikTok and you're like, this is not day one, right? Like we're, we're hoping to become a content factory. We're hoping over time that we get enough folks with enough different expertises 
that we can we can be more places, right? But when you well, talk about look at look at ESPN, look at these folks, and you just you see, and I think this is one of the things your books do so well. When you highlight the success patterns that many people have done over time, you go like, oh, maybe there's something I should be following about that. Gary V, first of all, I love the stuff that Gary V is doing, especially now in, in NFTs and creator coins and things like that. But it, Gary is giving horrible advice to a lot of young content creators because he can do that. He can be successful on every other platform and diversify because he already built his base. He already built his platform. If he was starting out with Wine Library TV and today, he, he couldn't do all that because he couldn't build a remarkable uh, video blog, which is what he did. And he built an audience over years of time. I don't know how many show episodes of Wine Library TV he did. Thousands? It was something nuts. And he built that audience over time. And then he became Gary V. Rockstar. And now Gary V. can go in, is known everywhere. So he can go into any outlet and do great. But the thing is, if you don't have a platform and you're just getting started on YouTube or Twitch or a podcast or whatever, and you do that, you will absolutely fail. It's almost impossible to be successful because you can't create something remarkable with the resources you have. And you don't have an audience to port from one to another. You just don't have it. So Gary V's of the world, <laughs> you just have to ignore that and say this to your point. ESPN, New York Times, Red Bull Media House. PewDiePie, Matt Pat, you know, go Mr. Beast, go through any of the new or old examples of content empires being built. And they all do it the same way. They do it on their one thing. They're a blogger, they're a podcaster, they're a newsletter writer, whatever they are, Twitch streamer, they become great at that. And then when they build that minimum viable audience, like for you, it was 100,000 downloads. For me, it was 10,000 email subscribers when we were with Content Marketing Institute. We get to that point, we look at the math, and we're like, okay, now is the time. So we went, we had an email newsletter, an email newsletter and a blog at Content Marketing Institute. They worked in, in tandem. And then we diversified into a print magazine, believe it or not, Chief Content Officer, and then the event series, Content Marketing World. And that's how it all it all worked out for us. But yeah, so we just have to keep tell, shouting it from the rooftops that this is the way it's done. And I don't see it even with more and more social channels. I think it's even more important to create your base on a platform. Well, I think I think one of the reasons that I have bought so many copies of Content Inc. and given it out and recommended it to so many other CEOs and entrepreneurs is just how doable it feels when you read that book. It's like, I love being inspired by Red Bull, but duplicating Red Bull next week feels like trying to eat the elephant all at once. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? I love, I love that Bloomberg terminals are really easy to sell, even though only 3% of their revenue or less than 5% of their revenue or something comes from their media company. It makes it real easy for those Bloomberg terminal salesmen to get a meeting with anybody. Right? Isn't that something? But, you know, starting day one and having studios in how many different countries, it feels so overwhelming. And I know I can hand somebody Content Inc. And they can hear stories about somebody who's passionate about backyard chickens. And they hear somebody who's passionate about the math of video games. That's right. And yeah. you see this very relatable step-by-step -step evolution of turning it into a full-time income and a, and a rabid fan base of people you have genuine connections to. And that snowball feeling, it just feels so logical as you go through the book and it I know that it, I can hand somebody the book and I don't have to give a lot of explanation. If they just read it, it's, it's pretty clear. Like, what do you, what can you bring something unique to the table about? And is that genuinely going to be helpful to enough people that 
that that you can get a response that isn't average. Well, that, I don't know. How would you say it better? Well, that no, the other the other thing. Well, I think you said it perfectly, but I think the the other thing that a lot of people mistake is that oh, if I just create this content over time, it'll be successful, which is not true. Which is what most enterprises, large companies, do. I'll give you an example of non differentiation. Go type in cloud computing into Google, and what will come up is Amazon and Oracle and IBM and Salesforce and all their cloud computing content. And just go into it. Just take, you know, five minutes and look at it. You know what you'll find? It's all the same. It's all the same. Mm. I could take one and put it on the other and they're not trying to build an audience. They're just using it for SEO and it's fine, but it's not doing anybody any good necessarily. And when you're starting out with the content model, what you have to realize is, okay, sure. What's my sweet spot? Okay, I can look and say, Here's my expertise and skill area, and here's my audience's desire and their pain points, and I can figure something out. But that's not good enough. You have to take the next step, and that next step is what we call the content tilt. That is that area of differentiation that you actually have a chance to cut through all the clutter, all the content clutter clutter that's out there. So that's where you have to think, you know, what's the why? What's the why for that audience? What's going to get them to click on your email, to listen to your podcast on a regular basis? How are you going to help them live better lives, get better jobs, something like that? That's where you have to differentiate it. And and then a lot of people, what they want to do is they want to start out real broad with their audience because it's like, oh, we want to have a bigger audience. Again, another big mistake. You can't go too niche with an audience. Like I, I really believe in the thousand fans from Kevin Kelly. You know, who find those. Find that customer, really define who that is, might change over time, but who is that future customer that you want and deliver something amazing to them, remarkable, be indispensable to them on a regular basis, and then you will just see the magic happen. And that's where I think a lot of people make that mistake. And the thing is, it's doable. You just have to do it up front. And that's why I tell people, do the work up front. Put the months in ahead of time to figure out what who is that audience and what are their pain points and desires and what can I deliver to them on a regular basis with the resources I have that could make an impact on their life. Because what will happen is if you start and you do this for nine to 12 months and you realize you don't have a differentiation area, you've just wasted nine to 12 months. You know, I, I think about how much you've preached the content tilt all these years. And I'm not surprised that the tilt.com is called the tilt.com. <laughs> I was lucky to get because- it. <laughs> Well, we're all we're also tempted to be better. And yet the most successful folks over and over, in my observation, are somebody who did something valuably different. Those those are the folks that dominate, you know, like it, it's funny. I'm I've got like multiple books started, but the first one I think I'm finishing. OK, I, I got a real talking to by one of my clients and friends. She's raised $8 billion for mutual funds, like startup funds. And that's led to an additional 30 billion being raised. Like she's, she knows what she's talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm explaining to her, you know, all these six or 7,000 pages of Warren Buffett books I read and going to his shareholder meetings and taking his courses and teaching courses about his methodology and this Warren Buffett book I'm going to write. And she's like, Jess, I already have too many Warren Buffett books on the shelf. She's like, you're such a nerd for special ops. You, you know, you've got all those guys at your charity child rescue there. You've got employees, you've got clients, you've got friends in that world, like do, do something different. And so the working title of the book is Warren Buffett and special ops. And we're, the book is about all the similarities of how Warren Buffett says, you know, the number one skill for an investor doesn't have to do with math. It has to do with emotional control. Mm hmm. And then I tell a bunch of like Delta Force and SEAL Team 6 stories from the source about, hey, even though your body is saying jump up and run away, 
that's going to get you shot in the back. You need to have the emotional control to stay undercover, you know? And that's, that's my attempt of a book that hopefully doesn't blend in with the other Warren Buffett. I like books, that. You know? Well, I think anything Warren Buffett, <laughs> special ops in anybody, I think that you've got some kind of differentiation there, but I like that. I, I love the, well, the whole, the whole Buffett model. I mean, you could do a lot of things with, but so, so I'm surprised though. She didn't say, because you already have this audience that's following you in certain, did she, did she want you to get away from the Warren Buffett thing entirely? No, no. But she just said like, her point was like, you're not differentiated, Jess. There's Got a million it. books on Warren Buffett. You're not, you're not bringing like, I'm sure it'd be great. Nobody will care. It'll just be another Warren Buffett book. And so the special ops is your tilt. Mm -hmm. That's where you're going to take it. That's awesome. But, and, and then a lot of people already, I mean, if you read the book, you know this, but I, I, the tilt, the, the name itself comes from the movie, the matrix. So if you remember the part where Neo, who's the chosen one goes in waiting for the Oracle and the little boy there is bending the spoons and mm -hmm. he can't, you know, Neo can't bend the spoon. And the little boy is bending spoon after spoon. And then finally, the little boy says to Neo, there is no spoon. And what Neo does is tilts his head and it looks at the spoon in a different way and is able to bend it. And that just stayed with me, Jess, forever. And I'm like, that is, that's it. We have to look at this sweet spot area that we're, and just, so you took Warren Buffett. And say, okay, there's Warren Buffett. There's a million Warren Buffett. I'm going to tilt my head just a little bit from the side and come at it from a different angle. And now I see it. I see that special ops differentiation that's going to make all the difference. That's it. Doesn't take much, right? You just you just have to ask yourself <laughs> the question. It's great. You know, probably the most influential thing I've ever gotten from you is, I mean, I've read your books so many times, handed them out. Love the, you know, I, I listen to this old marketing all the time. If anybody doesn't listen to Joe's podcast, you for sure need to subscribe to that. But after our last episode, you were giving me some advice for our charity that combats child trafficking. And you just said, listen, I'll tell you exactly what I would do if I was helping you guys out. I would figure out one single donor and I would know absolutely everything I was about about them. I would become the complete expert on, on that exact type of person. And I would not care about all the other kind of donors at all until you nail that, Jess, and really like make it so you can read from their diary. So when they hear from you, they think you're reading their mind. And it's funny how tempting it is to do the opposite all the time. And how often I end up advising CEOs or I, I talk to one of the podcasts afterwards, and they're asking me some advice. And I'm like, Oh, wow, you're trying to ride three skateboards at once. That's you're going to end mm -hmm. up on the street. You got to do what Joe says, and like nail it before you move on. Well, that, Any, anything to add to that? Any thoughts? It's it's a discipline. I mean, you, you talk about special ops. Discipline's got to be a huge part of that. And it's doing this is a discipline. And that's where if you just look at the term strategy, and we talk about this and when we do content strategy workshops, content strategy isn't about what you need to be doing. It's generally about the decisions you make about what not to do. This is so, so you made the decision that I'm going to, yes, I'm going to say 100% yes to this audience, and I'm going to say no to the 99 other options I have. That's so difficult to do because you feel you're leaving something on the table. You immediately want to say, I want to have an audience of 5,000, 10,000, 100,000. How can I get there unless I go broad? It doesn't make sense, right? But you got to remember, you, you say, okay, well, if I go after these hundred, these 10 people, I, and I do it better than anyone else, I know there's more of them out there. And I want all of them. I want every one of those that are just like that. And what and probably that audience is probably 100,000 or 500,000. You just don't know that yet. So 
I mean, when we started Content Marketing Institute, there was there were no business titles in marketing called content marketing anything. It didn't even exist. Well, now there's like 30,000 formal positions, 50,000. I don't know how many is that actually have content marketing something in them. That happened in 10 years. It didn't even exist. So that's where mm-hmm. I'm just like, you will make your own industry. If you do this right, you will make it will it will create itself around you. Like the content marketing industry didn't exist when we started. Like HubSpot is really well known for this whole inbound marketing movement. Inbound marketing wasn't even a thing. They just created it out of thin air the same way we're talking about content marketing and talking about what what you're going to do with Warren Buffett and special ops. It's ju- It just happens. So you, you have to have the discipline. You have to have the strategy. You have to say no. And that's where, I mean, I'm big. You already know this. I'm big into goal setting. I'm big into removing the past the the uh, the clutter in front of you so that you can be your best person whether it's for your family whether it's for your your job whatever the outcome is going to be so take away those things that from a content standpoint from a strategy standpoint they're just getting in your way so you're not focused so here's the thing i'll end with ask yourself so anybody listening to this let's say you you want to do something like this and you're trying to figure out what your your niche is look at it create it put it on paper Create a mission statement. It's like, oh, here's who I'm targeting. Here's the who. Here's what I'm going to deliver. And here's what the outcome is going to be. So how are you helping them live a better job or get a better life or whatever the case is? And then ask yourself, if you do that consistently over time, can you be the leading informational expert in the world around that topic? It's a hard question to answer because you've got to, got, to, got to throw the ego there. Say, well, can we really do it? And if you say, yeah, I think we can, then go for it. You've probably got it nailed. If you said, there's no way I can do that with the resources we have, then you've got to go even more niche. You have to find out what that hook is, that differentiation area is that that nobody else has. Yeah. So that's what I would say. That question I ask that question to marketing teams all the time. I'm like, well, here's all the content you're creating and email newsletters and videos and everything. You put it all together. Are you guys, can you guys be the leading informational expert in this area? And they'll all laugh. I'm like, well, what are we doing here? Why are we, are we, what are, are we wasting time? Yeah. Are you just, are you, are you even reading this stuff? No, you're not. You're just doing it because you feel you have to. You're just, you're, you're just moving along with the content factor because somebody told you you have to be on yeah. these 18 outlets. So I love it. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got to go here in like two more minutes. So I'm just going to put this out here. You should just come back on the show every year and just tell us what's new. Just and, book it. And, uh, yeah, book, yeah. But absolutely. Book it every year. Put it in every every May or whatever. I'll come back on the show and we'll give you an update yeah. and we'll just we'll just talk and because I want to see what happens with your model. Okay, let's do it. Great case study. Um, <laughs> my, my final question here for our last two minutes is somebody who's built an audience, they've really figured out some content where they, they're the ones who've got something special to say. They, they are becoming this leading world leading authority on that sub niche, right? I hear things that like eBooks and certain lead magnets are not working as well anymore. As you look at 2021 and beyond, what's your, what's your lead magnet of choice or what would you recommend people to experiment with? Well, it depends on what their core platform is. So if their core platform is YouTube or their core platform is, let's say, a blog or an let's email newsletter. Podcasts and videos. Podcasts and videos, 100% email, 100,000%. Get yourself an amazing email experience because 
with, with YouTube and even with podcasts, you don't have no control over those mm -hmm. connections. Mm -hmm. We want to take control back when I have some kind of owned media experience versus what we're doing with podcasts and YouTube. Now we're basically renting these different channels. And I guess, I mean, what would you offer them to get them on that email list in the first place? Is it a checklist? Is it a something more bite-sized? Is there, do you have a preference? Oh, I, what's worked for what I've seen working in the different case studies. I've seen giving away an entire book. I've seen giving away a, a an ebook, but my favorite research, research report, mm, number one, should have guessed if, that. If, if you were, if you were going to say, what can I do to position myself as a leader in the industry, do proprietary research. We, I can't tell you, say enough how amazing that is. When you do that and you do it well, you get coverage, earn media, like it's unbelievable. And then you can, what you can do is you can split those reports up. Oh, are you a manufacturing executive? Here's one for that. Are you logistics? Here's one for that. So you can take and cut that, the data up into anything you want to, to get the subscribers to come in. So that's what I would do. Love it. Research. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to reach out, Pam. We're going to get you a book here every year. Perfect. I'm in. Thanks, man. Bye everyone.